Well, it is so good to be with you. Just remembering that Saturday, it was quite a significant Saturday in the life of Wales because we were playing France for the Grand Slam and I was booked in and I remember when the program came for the day seeing it started at sort of 9.30 in the morning and went on till 4 in the afternoon. I remember sending an email saying, is there any chance, any possibility that maybe it could end around 2.30, because at that point the game would kick off, and I got a reply from Arnold, something in the lines of, well, we'll see. <laughs> so I, I turned up, and we managed to shorten the lunch break a bit, and by 2.30 I was starting to feel, do you know what? I think we're getting near the end. I think it's, we can finish. I think I'm going to get to see the game. And, uh, and then I thought I'd do like just a closing prayer, you know, just so let's gather and then just pray. And I, I prayed and then there's a horrible moment where, you shouldn't say horrible moment, I lifted my eyes to see that God was starting to move. And it was kind of like, Lord, don't you know what's happening in Cardiff right now? And here I am having to lift my eyes and see you're moving in Sheffield. And, and uh, in the great moment, I was praying for people, things were happening. And then there was this wonderful moment. As I walked past my iPad, I noticed I had a Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> and this is like a confession time. I feel that I need to bring this to you. I suddenly realized that actually I could get the game live on the iPad. So as I was going praying and God was moving, I then walked past, and there were some prayers of passion. And then I'd walk past and, oh, Lord, time to move. And then Mark, very wonderfully, kind of, I saw Mark kind of wander over. And that look which Mark has received from Arnold, (laughs) that puts you back in your place quite quickly. And I kind of moved. But anyway... It is. It was great, and God rewarded me anyway. We won the Grand Slam. But that feels a long time ago, but you never know. Next Saturday, my Christmas present was two tickets to go and see Wales v. Ireland. So pray, pray they were a good investment of money. So, well, it is a real joy to be with you. It's um, great. I brought with me my son, Zach, uh, who's here. He's my youngest. We've got twins at the end. And uh, it's great to have Zach. And I've also brought Jerry with me. Jerry used to be in Sheffield many years ago and was a member of Walkley Baptist Church. He's now with me in Cardiff. And last Sunday, uh, Jerry had slipped on his way to church. And I walked in and he was there saying he felt he'd hurt his arm. Uh, I looked at it and said, looks fine to me, Jerry. No problem at all. And later in the day, he had a cast on his arm. And as my wife said, she would take advice from me on many things, but never medical advice in any shape or form. And by the grace of God, Jerry had ignored it as well and went to A&E and got sorted. Well, it is in quite moving to be here with you. You know, I'm going to preach from a passage, which is a passage that I've been living with me, actually, for the last few months. It's a book that I was reading when I got the news about Arnold, and it's from 2 Timothy. And actually, it's a book which is Paul's last letter that he wrote to his dear friend Timothy. And it just felt very poignant as I was reading this, hearing the news that my dear friend and really spiritual father had gone to be with the Lord. And, and it just, as I was walk, walking through this passage and these, these verses, it just came very, very alive to me. Uh, this after, uh, this week, I sat down to try and write some notes 
from this passage and just realized I couldn't. I just tried. I just couldn't get down what I wanted to express. And in the end, I felt God say, just stand and share your heart. And so with you today, I'm just going to share my heart from this passage as we look and investigate what is it that God wants to say to you as a church, what is it that God's speaking, and what is it that God wants to do amongst you. A pastor will often ask the question, how is the church? A prophet asks the question, how is the city? How's the nation? Both are very valid, both are very important questions to be asked. We want a church that's relevant for the society we're in. We want a church that's alive and ready with God moving. We also want a church that's going to impact the city, impact the nation, and impact everything. One of the things always I found so exciting being with Arnold is that both those things lived in him. A deep passion for the church, but an incredible passion for the city. And what I want to do today is to fan that into flame. What I want to do this morning is hopefully stir something in you of excitement and of passion of what God has got for you. So if you turn to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, and verses 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, of self-control or self-discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel for the power of God. So pray. Father, I ask now as we just look at your word, Thank you, Lord, that you've already spoken this morning. And I pray, Father, you just speak, fan into flame, your creative work amongst us. Lord, today that we know we encounter the living God. And when we encounter you, we do not leave the same. We're changed. So come and minister to us in your name. Amen. So here's Paul. He's a spiritual father to Timothy. He describes him as my son. Elsewhere, he describes Timothy as, I have no one else like him. Many actually wonder if Paul actually led Timothy to the Lord. We don't know, but we do know there's a very close relationship. We know there's a deep friendship, there's a deep understanding. And here's Paul writing this last very moving letter. Paul is in prison, and he can't get out, he can't get to Timothy, and he's writing this letter. He's writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, a city that Paul deeply, deeply loved. A few months ago, I was at a, a conference over in Turkey. And the conference was fine. It was, you know, it was, it was nice being in the sun. It was nice being there. But the highlight, the best bit, was a trip to Ephesus. It is just spectacular. 
Because of the way the city was deserted, it is virtually as it was in the day of Paul and John and the others of that time. And you get to walk along these incredible sort of ruins, but just you get the feel of a city. And we had this fantastic tour guide who was talking and walking us around the city and telling us stories. It was very funny. It was just entertaining. And then there was a point where we walked into the marketplace and suddenly he started to tell the story of Acts 19. He started to talk about when the riot started against Paul. And then he walked us down to outside the huge circus, the theatre, 24,000 seater, and we stood outside it. And he turned to us and he said, just imagine, there was once a day when the Apostle Paul stood here. There was once a day when Paul stood here and wanted to get into that theatre and talk to the vast crowd of people who were hurling out abuse and standing against Jesus. He wanted to get to that crowd. He wanted to tell them about Jesus, but he was not allowed. He was held back from going in. He could not go in. And then he said, just think, there was once a day when Paul, who loved this city... He said there's records that say Paul would love to have stayed in Ephesus. It was a place he adored. There was This was the day where Paul had to leave the city for good. And suddenly, it felt so real. Now, I know we all believe this stuff, but isn't it there's moments where suddenly you think, there was once a point when Paul, a man, a person like you and me, stood there and his whole life changed in a day. Because of this crowd that rose up against him, the emotion that he must have been feeling at that point, he wanted to get into the crowd, he wanted to talk to them, but he wasn't allowed. And then the governor comes down and says, you have to leave the city. And Paul that day has to pack up and leave the city that he loves. Even when he comes to say goodbye to the elders, he has to meet them outside the city. He can't. He's not allowed to enter the city again. Everything changed. And you sit there and think, Wow, these men that we read in the Bible were living lives where things could change very quickly. And we've all known those moments in our lives where we kind of thought we knew where things were going. We kind of thought our life had a plan. We kind of had an idea who was going to be around to help us on it. And suddenly it changes. For the church in Ephesus, everything changed that day. The Apostle Paul had to go. He wasn't there anymore. A few months ago, a few weeks ago, For you, something changed. Arnold is no longer with you. He went to glory. There's a sudden change. It's suddenly things happen. And the church, and for Paul, it was a big change. Things were not going to be the same again. And so Paul ends up sending his dear friend, his dear son Timothy, to come. And in this letter, it is an incredibly moving letter. If you read it and you see the last few verses of Paul, the last things we have recorded that he said where he talks about those who have let him down. He talks about the hurt that he's felt. He talks about those who have been against him. He's talking about those who are useful for him. He asks for a blanket to be brought to him. We see the emotion of this man, who's gone through not an easy time. You know, a friend of mine uh, leads a church in Belfast, and he tells this wonderful story. He said, one day this man came up at the end of the meeting and said, oh, just booked a holiday. It's called the Mission Trip of Paul the Apostle. My friend said, oh, that sounds great. Well, you know, what, what are the plans? He said, oh, it's going to be absolutely wonderful. He said, oh, great. He says, uh, so uh, have you got uh, some shipwrecks planned? The guy goes, no. 
said, have you got uh, any stonings in place? Guy goes, no. said, have you got a whipping at all? Any, any whippings? No. So have you got any riots that you're going to be in the middle of it? He said, no. My friend said, well, if I was you, I'd ask for your money back. Because that seriously doesn't sound like the mission trip to Paul. You know, the reality is it was not easy. And he had had moments where people had run with him who he felt were loyal with him. He felt he loved him. And there were moments where people deserted him. In exactly the same way Jesus had experienced that. And so often any of us who go for things in the purposes of God, you know those moments where you think, where are people? You've all known those moments where you've gone for things. And sometimes people just have let you down, have not been there. Don't let it hold you back. Keep going for it. Persevere. Keep going. Paul, the wonderful thing you see in this letter is even though there's some hurt, some pain, some things that just he doesn't quite get, even though he's got some hopes in Romans, he talks about wanting to go to Spain. There's no record he ever went there. There were things he would love to have done. He never accomplished. Yet he is full of hope, of passion, of joy. Some of the last conversations I had with Arnold were about what we could do together in Wales. And you sit there and think, it was a longing in his heart. It was a longing in my heart. It was not to be fulfilled. But yet, we persevere, we go on. He writes to Timothy, his dear son. He's left him in a very difficult position. Timothy has been given the job to correct false teachers in Ephesus. He's there to stand against some of the people teaching and say, this is not correct. If you've ever had to stand against someone, you know, it is never easy. You know, some people try to make it out like, I enjoy it, you know, this is fun. It's always terrifying. Whenever you have to stand and correct someone, it's always worrying. You know, I remember one Sunday in Rabina, the worship was going, and suddenly I'm aware of this sort of, type type voice. I'm not anti, but this very powerful, quite disconcerting voice was coming out singing. I kind of turned around, and I could see a load of teenagers giggling in the corner. So I kind of wander down to see this lady there singing with this very powerful voice, but this kind of slightly out-of-tune, operatic-type song. And so I kind of go up to her and say, Hi, my name's Andrew, and uh, I'm the leader of the church. And she kind of looked a bit disturbed, took my hand and said, I'm, I'm so-and-so, I'm a prophetess. I've been sent here this Sunday to bring God's word to you all. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I said, well, I said, first of all, I said, you've got a very powerful voice. And she said, no, it's not mine, it's the Lord's. So I said, well, I hope he's got a more musical voice. But I kind of tried to... <laughs> I, said, I said, actually, I said, I said, yeah, I said, actually, the fruit of it is it's disturbing people around you. Is it okay for you to tone it down a bit? To which she looks at me and says, I do not submit to men, only to God. I said, well, while you're here, I said, I'm accountable for what happens here. You're not going to bring anything today. I said, if you've got something to bring, come and share it with me, but you're not going to bring it today. At which point, boom, explosion, starts cursing me. I have to kind of help her out of the church. And everything in you is just beating, beating, thinking, Whoa, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I remember as we kind of walked out, she turned to me and said, I want you to know no one else is ever going to get saved in this place ever again. And I said, well, look, I will be praying for God's blessing on you. 
I said, I pray that you will really encounter God and bless you as she kind of went. And the funny thing is, I then turned around to see all the big guys in the church have now turned up. You know, I think, oh, come on, guys. You know, you left me with the, you know, rather large woman, to be honest, kind of, you know, kind of having to help out. And now you turn up. I, the, do you know what the greatest thing? Walking back in. And as I walk back in, up at the front is one of our elders' wives with this Chinese lady and to say, can I introduce you to this lady? She's just given her life to Jesus. I felt like running back down the street. By the way! <laughs> but do you know what? Confronting anything is never easy. It's horrible. When you come into a church and you're suddenly aware, oh, oh, something to address. It's never a, here we go. It's horrible. You feel that turmoil. You feel the emotion. None of us really like confrontation. You know, there's something in us that actually, uh, it's not the easiest thing. And Timothy has been given the job to bring confrontation to a church that is going through false teaching, through real battle, for a church that's starting to face persecution. It's a time of Nero. It's a difficult time. And Timothy's been sent to Ephesus, a city that Paul loves, and he's got to try and bring what he believes Paul would want to bring, what God wants to bring into the church at that moment in time. It's a church that is loved by Paul. But also... Paul loves Timothy. In Philippians 2, verse 22, he says, there's no one else like him. He's got no one else. Interesting thing is, you suspect they're quite different characters. Timothy, actually we see elsewhere, has a bit of a stomach problem. That actually says, you know, Paul says, take a bit of wine. Don't have so much water. Take a bit of wine for your stomach. You know, I once had a conversation with someone who doesn't believe Christians should drink, who interpreted that as rubbing it on the outside of your stomach. I kind of said, well, what has he been doing with water there? But it's kind of interesting. But he's, he's got some illnesses. We see he's a bit timid. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10. He writes to them and says, please make sure when Timothy comes to you that he's got nothing to fear. Could you imagine... If last week Mark had got up and said to you, you've got Andrew Davis coming next week. Please, please, please make sure he's got nothing to fear when he comes. Please, you know, make it easy for him. You know, you'd be thinking, who is this guy turning up? You know, kind of hiding behind, slightly nervous. Well, that's how Timothy was described. Quite a timid man. And yet we see these incredible verses. Paul writes this letter to Timothy to encourage him at quite a difficult time. And he does it by firstly reminding him of the call that we've received, reminding him of the call that has been given to Timothy, but then also this amazing thing of the heritage that Timothy has got. Paul says, I've received a heritage, my ancestors, but you, Timothy... You've received a heritage, your grandmother, your mother, and you now. Incredibly encouraging words that Paul is writing to Timothy. We see in Acts 16, verse 10, that actually Timothy, his mother was a believer, but it would appear his father was not a believer. It says that his mother, Lois, was a Jew and a believer. His, bro- his father was a Greek. And so from this relationship... And on sort of a godly mother and a non-believing husband, we see this son who is doing great things in the kingdom of God. It's full of hope and encouragement, this letter. Full of hope into situations. 
And But Paul, to encourage Timothy, reminds him of the godly heritage. Next Sunday, I've got the privilege to go and preach at a church in Thangaina called Calvaria, which is where my grandma and grandpa uh, spent their whole life helping build that church. So when my dad grew up, and uh, it's quite a privilege. Ever since going back to Wales, I've kind of thought it'd be nice to go there one day. It'd be nice to go and preach at that church. A church that I've, you know, grew up with family stories. I think, Tom, you've probably heard some of the stories. Of stories of that have been said of the things that my grandma and grand, grandpa and grandma used to do in that village. And uh, I've been praying, is there a chance to go? Has something happened? And we've got a load of students. And one of our students uh, has been helping that church with their youth work. And so one day he came and said, the church would like it if the pastor of Rabina Baptist Church would come and preach. And I said, they can't have the pastor of Rabina Baptist Church, but they can have the grandson of Thomas Davis. I said, I'll go on that ticket, not as some sort of pastor of a church. I'll go as the grandson. And so they've rung, and next Sunday I get to preach in this church which will be very moving as I sort of stand there. Some of the stories of our heritage. I remember my grandma telling a story of one time the miners had just gone on strike. So no more money was coming into the house. And they were there at the church, and my grandma felt God say, everything that's in your right pocket, put in the offering today. And she put her hand in the pocket and realized all the money they had was in her pocket. And she said, as the bucket went round, well, it wouldn't have been a bucket, would it? No, it would be the nice little bag <laughs> knitted by one someone. As it went past, she just put it all in, ran out of the chapel, ran back to Four Green Meadows, went in and just started crying. And I remember her telling me, she said, I sat there, Andrew, and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I said, God, you, don't you know I've got two sons, my husband, what have I done? I've just spent all the money, we've got no more money in. What have you done, God? Why did you do this to me? You know? And then she said she could hear uh, my grandpa, my, my dad, my uncle coming back. And she suddenly said, I bet they've invited people back for lunch. That awful man, I bet he has. And sure enough, in they came. And she said she grabbed this piece of bread and she was in tears and was cutting this bread saying, God, how could you have done this to us? And realized... The bread was getting no smaller. And for the whole time of the strike, the bread kept going and fed them as a family. Remarkable stories. And next Sunday, I've got the privilege to go and preach in a place where my heritage comes from, where Tom's heritage is part of. It's there in that place. It's exciting. Paul is encouraging Timothy, look at the godly heritage you've received. Now, who here comes from a Christian family? Can I encourage you with this? Normally, when we do guest services, it's not us that are invited up to give our testimony. <laughs> you know, we're not normally the ones, now, come on, Andrew, come and tell your testimony. Well, I grew up in a Christian family, and now I'm a Christian. Hooray! Yes. <laughs> when did you become a Christian? Well, I'm not totally sure, but at some point, I really came to know it. Hooray! You know, we're not the ones invited. They're always the ones with the dramatic, you know, I was a really awful person and then, boom, God turned up and now look at me. You know, actually, we, but do you know what? One day, we have to give an account for the godly heritage we've received. One day, I will stand before God and need to give an account for the heritage that I've grown up in, the faith that has grown up in my family. One day, I've got to give an account from that place, where have I got? What have I done? 
And I find that really encouraging and slightly terrifying at times, that I want to build on what God has done. Paul is saying to Timothy, look at the heritage you received. Take it as encouragement. Take it as something to stir you. And for you as a church, look at the heritage that you've received. Look at what has been put in you over the years. Look at the promises that God has given you. You've got a godly heritage. This city has a godly heritage. This city has had generations crying out for God to move. This city has had generations of people crying out, come and move in this city. That's your heritage. You have a heritage of people who have seen God move. A heritage of people who have seen God do things. Be encouraged. There's a great fan of, of witnesses encouraging you and being with you. God wants to encourage you today. So Paul reminds Timothy, look at your heritage. It's great. And then comes on and says this. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame. In a sense, that's probably what I really want to bring to you today. Fan it into flame. Paul had put something in Timothy. God had done a work in Timothy, but there had been an impartation. Paul knew there was a moment when he had laid hands on Timothy, there had been an impartation. That actually Timothy carried something like some others didn't carry. There had been an impartation of some of the gifting that Paul had that Timothy had received. In the same way as I was kind of reading, looking at this verse, I just wanted to say this to you. The years that you've had Arnold with you, there has been an impartation into you as a church. There's been an impartation of the love of the word of God. There's been an impartation of the love and passion for the church. There's been an impartation for a love of the nations and the mission. There's been an impartation for the love of the supernatural and of God moving. There's been an impartation of just a desire to see this city changed and revival to come. That is your heritage. That is what has been imparted. That is what he's been putting into you and God has used him to do. The challenge is this, fan it into flame. Fan it into flame, the gift that God has given. See, I love the new covenant. I would have been really rubbish in the old covenant (laughs) where just a few people do everything. The new covenant is that all receive the Spirit. And the great thing is that God gives gifts. Right around this room, God has given gifts. Lots of different gifts. We've already seen some of them being displayed this morning. We've had a tongue and interpretation. We've had prophetic words which have been just exciting and stirring. We've had worship. I had a cup of coffee made. All gifts that God has given. You know, there's been just, there is something impartation. God gives gifts. And it says everything about God and nothing about you. So often we look at people's gifting and think, wow, they must be really godly. Think of Samson. (laughs) If you ever think of gifting and character, Samson is always the warning. You've got Samson, who, um, you know, always appears in films, sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger with a big wig. The reality is, I just want to, you know, I'm not jealous of Samson because of his hair. But I would say to you, well, when people looked at Samson and said, where does his strength come from? It wasn't because he was muscle-bound and kind of wandering around this sort of massive type man. I think, I'm going to put it to you, 
he looked a bit like me with hair. <laughs> if I suddenly took a, a, a jaw of a donkey and killed a thousand people, it would be a bit disturbing. But also you think, where on earth does the strength come from? The anointing of God. He was a man gifted by God. Strange gifting. It's one I wouldn't mind, actually, to be the world's strongest man, you know. He can appear on TV pulling trucks, apparently. <laughs> I kind of hope I could do more with it than that. But it just that's what God gave him. But then you look at his character. He was deeply flawed. Every woman that went past, off goes Samson. He's terrible. Gifting says everything about God, nothing about you. I remember many years ago, my daughter Jessica... Uh, wanted a doll's house. She really wanted a, a special doll's house. And I had said to her, I will buy you the doll's house once you keep your bedroom tidy. And I thought this was a great message. This is good parenting. I could, you know, sort of a bit of a, a carrot, you know, you do this and you get this. Good. I want her to learn to keep her room tidy. And if she did it, I'd give her a reward. Then one day, I'm traveling into uh, the office, and I feel God say to me, I want you to buy Jessica a doll's house. I'm thinking, well, no. I've told her, you tidy your room, and I'll buy you a doll's house. I come to some traffic lights, there's a charity shop, and there's this beautiful doll's house right in the window, really cheap. And I'm looking at it thinking, now this is just coincidence, you know, nothing silly. I kind of get to uh, our meeting and we had John Groves coming and, and he was sharing about the grace of God. And he kept saying, you know, the grace of God, we don't deserve it, but God gives it to us. And he kept going on and on. All I could hear the whole time is, show Jessica something of the character of God today by her a doll's house. And I'm thinking, that's dreadful parenting. This is really, you know, this is terrible parenting. This is kind of like, you know, everything I shouldn't do. You know, shouldn't just say, there you are. You know, you wanted it, I give it to you. I was really struggling. And anyway, on the way home, I bought a doll's house. And then she came home from school and I said, Jessica, I've got you a doll's house. Oh, thank you, Dad. Oh, you're lovely. Do you know what? You don't deserve it. <laughs> you haven't really got it as a reward. Your room's a mess. But because God wants you to learn about his grace and his love and the fact he just gives things, you've got it, right? Oh, thanks, Dad. You know. Do you know what? Years later, Jessica does not keep her room tidy, but boy, has she learned the grace of God. She reminds me time and time again of that moment of when she realized what it was that God gives us gifts because of his love, not because of us. And it got, that's the truth. God gives gifts to all of you. Why? Because he wants a church that functions fully on all of us, that we can be used so that the power of God can be displayed to Sheffield. That's what he wants to do with you. He's given us the gifts. The challenge is this. Use them. Use what God has given you. Use what has been imparted into you. Use it to build the church. There's nothing worse than having a gift and not opening it. Can you imagine Christmas Day? Suddenly there are all these presents put to you and you've given them and you get your presents. You say, they look absolutely beautiful. Let me put them up here on the shelf where I can look at them every now and then. In the wrapping paper. It's done so well, I don't want to rip it. Can you imagine? You've bought something, you spend time thinking about it, you've given it to someone and now it's on a shelf, wrapped up, up there. You sit there and think, what's the point in that? You should be like our house on Christmas Day. 
where the presents come, the wrapping paper disappears as quickly as anything. And that's just me. <laughs> Ripping it into shreds. We're still picking up bits of wrapping paper. You know, just, it's this sort of ticker tape parade of wrapping paper going and people opening gifts, excitement and joy. That's what God wants for you. If you want to grow in the gift that God's given you, use it. Because it doesn't happen instantly. Though we'd like to think it does. We'd like to think, you know, that one day you come to church, you've never spoken out in any shape or form, suddenly you're standing there and the Spirit of God comes on you and you turn into super prophet. It doesn't happen. God gives you a gift, says use it. Fan it into flame. One of the things I was thinking and praying about this week was the things that Arnold had put into me. Things that he had imparted into me and thinking, I want to fan those into flame. I want to use it. I want to use what I see of the bride of Christ that I heard from his teaching. I want to see that come about. I want to see it fanned into flame. I want to do the things that God has called me to do. But what is it that prevents us from doing that? What is it that holds you back from being who God has called you to be? Paul says it here. You've not received a spirit of timidity or of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You've not received a spirit of timidity. Timothy, naturally, was a timid guy. Paul's writing to him saying, look, Timothy, you can't do what you're called to do if you continue to remain timid. You've got to overcome it somehow. You've got to recognise that that is not the gift of God to you. It is not to hold you back. You've got to overcome timidity and move in the power that God's given you. You've received the spirit. Go for it. In the same way, church, here, can I say to you, do not be timid with the things that have been laid as foundations in you for the last few years. Don't be timid with it. Let this not be a season where you step back and grieve, which is right to grieve. Let this be a season where you fan into flame and overcome timidity and put it into action. That's what Sheffield needs. That's what, I'd say, could be the greatest thing you could do in memory of Arnold is to build on the things that he laid. That's what God has called you to be. You received that gift so that this church could be all that God wants it to be. Fan into flame. But timidity is a killer. And we all struggle with it. You know, some people think, Andrew, really? Timid? Yeah, do you know what? I really dislike turning up places where I don't know anyone. I can't, I really dislike it. Which is why my car is always full of people. And, you know, that's not why you're here today, Jerry. But I, I don't like going to work first time. You know, I've been known to drive around a while not to get there too early. You know? And because actually you get timid. I, I find it difficult walking into a room where I don't know anyone. And you kind of sit there and or walk in and, try and, you know, I just feel timid. I also know I feel timid at moments of steps of faith. There's a real battle. I've had some recently, this Sunday... This afternoon, we start our second congregation in Cardiff, starting it into a, a rougher part of the city in San Romney. Got a building there, sending a group, about 30 to 40 people, starting a, a church congregation over there. But you know what? It's been a battle to get there, even though it's my natural tendency. Send people, send people, do it. It's been a real battle. Because, you know, the moments to say, yes, we will do it, you're sitting there at times thinking, Really? Do I really want to do this? It's nice having a big crowd on a Sunday. Do I really want to do it? Do Let's do it. The other, other week, we had a strange situation where 
uh, sort of last year we had Dave and Hannah Henson, who lead the New Frontiers Church in St. Petersburg, and Dave is involved in overseeing a number of churches in Russia. He was suddenly flown back to Cardiff with an emergency, a sort of a tumour on his spine. And so as a family, they all suddenly arrived in Cardiff. We had no relationship with Dave and Hannah in any shape or form. And suddenly I've got this couple, key couple in the purposes of God, suddenly arrive in Cardiff. And I'm thinking, what do I do? Well, first we found them a house, found them a car, looked after them. And then came this point of which, well, God, what are you doing here? What, what's your plan? And uh, we had this strange moment where I sat with Dave and said, Dave, how do you see yourself going back to St. Petersburg one day? And he said, I do not want to return the way I was. So I was out there on a tourist visa or and or student visa. I, I was funded by churches in, in the UK. I don't want to be like that again. I want a business. I want to have a business there that allows me to function and, and just opens up new ways of sending the gospel. That's my passion. A few hours later, I have another friend come to see me who is a Southern Baptist missionary who's just set up a language school in Cardiff. And uh, it's brilliant. His passion was to set up, uh, bring people from across the nations to train and equip them, uh, to, to bring Muslims into the country, into a Christian environment where they could find out about Jesus, and then to send teams all over the world to set up these language schools that could function all around the world and have openings into cities to church plant. The problem with it, it was always brilliant, but the problem with it, it was so American that it was either CIA or Southern Baptist. There was no other explanation for what this thing was. And so we'd always had these sort of conversations. And he came to see me this day, a few hours after Dave, and said, I've just been told we're, they're pulling the money, the funding from this, and we can't continue. Do you know anyone who could continue such a work? And then that Sunday, uh, after the preach, Dave Henson came forward and was bringing some prophetic ministry and Troy was sitting there and he just felt God say, hand over. And so he came to see Dave and said, Dave, I'd like you to take on this company, this business. And so you sit there and think, well, that's obvious, isn't it? Clearly God, bing, bing, bing. I then get phone calls from Dave Devonish saying, Andrew, what do you think? Are you happy with this? Do you think this is right? Because so, Dave has to write a letter to the Southern Baptists and say, we'll take it on and all of this. And so suddenly, I'm in Germany doing something, and I get this phone call from Dave saying, Andrew, what do you think? Do you know what? It was a sudden moment where I battled timidity like I have never done before in my life. I'm there suddenly thinking, there's a family... There's money involved. There's a, this, this affects the church in St. Petersburg, because if we go for this, it means that the Hensons are with us for at least 18 months. They're not going back. I suddenly had all these questions going through my mind. And suddenly, I felt almost out of character. I was there thinking of all the possible things that could go wrong and challenges, and Dave was doing it as well. And the two of us, by the end of this conversation, were, this would be the most foolish thing we could possibly do. And suddenly, this passage came to my mind. Fan into flame the gift of God. Don't, you've not received a spirit of timidity. I sat there and realized, I said, Dave, I think I've got it completely wrong. I think we've got to go for it. And it was one of those moments where it was physical turmoil to get there. We've gone for it. And now Dave, this week is in Russia. We've set up the language school. He's running it. We're looking to set up a school of church planting in it. It's exciting, but it has been bought through a battle of timidity. For you as a church, 
the coming months, there are going to be some real battles of timidity, real battles of fear. Do we go for this? But what about? Shall we do this? Go through them. Walk through them. And remember, you've received a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. You've not received a spirit of timidity. Yet all of us battle with it. You know, timidity isn't just being quiet. Timidity is preventing you from functioning as God wants you to function. And I can guarantee here today, some of you are battling with the very things that God's called you to be. Some of you God's made promises to. Some of you God has spoken to. Some of you have felt like that picture of a continual winter. Actually, timidity has prevented you from looking out and seeing a day, a new day. You've got to battle it. You've got to get through it. You've got to overcome it. And then Paul encourages Timothy by saying, look at the spirit you have received. The spirit of power, of love, of discipline. Can I just say this? We need to be continually empowered by the Holy Spirit. How, who here has ever run out of petrol or diesel? Uh, it's happened to me only once. It just happened to be slightly embarrassing. It was on a, we'd had a day trip to Paris and uh, we were traveling that night back to the campsite we were at to pack up and go home. On the way, the petrol light or diesel light comes up telling me I'm about to run out. But I, driving in Paris is hard enough without trying to find a petrol station. And I realized we'd gone past the petrol station on the way in, therefore on the way out, we'll pass it as well. Of course, the GPS took us out a different way. So we went nowhere near the petrol station. And then there's a horrible moment as I'm driving down the motorway. And suddenly, the, the starts to judder, which it does on a diesel. And I suddenly realized, actually, it's illegal to run out of diesel on a French motorway. So I come straight off at the next junction, which promptly meant that we didn't have a clue where we were when I rang to say we'd run out of diesel. And trying to explain, it took the people three hours to get to us. Suddenly, I had a car that was useless. Looked good, it looked just fine, and it was a good shelter for the children, but couldn't do what it was supposed to do. It ran out of diesel. It was run out of anything. Now, I could have said to Liz, now Liz, don't you remember 500 miles back, we had that wonderful time at that petrol station where I filled it up. Wasn't it wonderful? Oh, yeah, that was a great moment. That was so brilliant. Well, that's irrelevant. That was 500 miles back. It's now run out and dead. Do you know what? I've known times in my Christian life where I have suddenly realized I feel like I've run out of empowering of the Spirit. I've been going in my own strength and suddenly you feel like a car that's run out of petrol and you just feel tired and weary and everything is too much. And even though you can remember times when the Spirit moved, do you remember that time back in 94? Oh yes, that was so exciting. But it's irrelevant now. If you're not receiving today your daily bread, you're not receiving today the power, the love, and the discipline. If you just live off things that have been passed, you're never going to overcome timidity. You need to encounter the Spirit now, freshly, today, to empower you, to get you through, to do the things that God's called us. I love the fact that when God called us, he didn't choose us because we were good. We chose him because he was outstanding. We chose him because we realized we were anything but good and we needed him. So we enter our walk with God in utter humility, saying, Father, we need you. Thank you for your son. Forgive me. And we enter into the kingdom of God. 
God then gives us a commission that is so big we can't fulfill. So when he looks at the disciples and said, all authority is mine, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that I obey you, go. They can't do it till they're empowered by the Spirit. And the amazing thing is you see time and time again, the Spirit comes on them, empowers them, empowers them, empowers them, empowers them. They didn't look back at Pentecost and say, because of Pentecost I'm doing it, it's because today I've met the Spirit, I'm doing it. We are to walk with God in the way we entered. For timidity to overrule, we start doing it in our own strength. And as soon as we do it in our own strength, we fall flat on our face. We keep saying, God, to do this, I need you. To be the church that God wants you to be, boy, you need the Spirit of God. To do the things that you want to do, boy, you need the Spirit of God. And let's face facts. If we're not being empowered by the Spirit... What is empowering us? If we're not meeting God, what is happening? If, if we're not being empowered by the Spirit, how do you overcome sin? If you're not being empowered by the Spirit, how do you worship God? If you're not being empowered by the Spirit, how are you going to study the Word of God? If you're not empowered by the Spirit, how are you going to pray? There's only one other way. Legalism and law. Either empowered by the Spirit or law. Tell you what, Paul is very strong. You've received a spirit, a power, of love, of self-discipline. Keep encountering him. Keep being filled up. You know, I remember many years ago in London, seeing a man in a Ferrari run out of petrol. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. As this Ferrari came round the corner, and this guy, with full medallion, gets out, and is 100 yards away from the petrol station, pushing this car along. And it just looked so funny, as this was not the image that he had in mind when he bought this car. This was not the image that was going to impress the women. You know, here I go, (laughs) pushing this thing. That's not... When God pointed us as the church, and he called us to be the church, when he called you to this city, he didn't call you to be like someone pushing a Ferrari, sweating and everything out of sync. He made you to be empowered by him displaying the fullness of the glory of God in this city. Do not let timidity rob you of what God's got for you. And then lastly, Paul writes to Timothy and says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me. And actually in this verse, you get a bit of the heart of Paul. Paul has been used to people being ashamed of him. Paul has actually got used to people who have actually walked away from him, ashamed. How can you be a man of God, yet you're always in trouble? (laughs) How can this be that your life is full of all these hardships and you claim to be God? Don't you know people of God should be prosperous and everything good? And for Paul, it's been hard. And he has these things. Don't be ashamed of me, a prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel, of the power of God. If we walk with God, life does never promise to be easy. But I tell you what, walking with God is glorious. Don't let timidity rob you. Don't let timidity rob you of your heritage. Don't let timidity rob you of your gifting. Don't let timidity rob you of the promises that God's given you. Today, be empowered. Today, come and receive all that God has got for you. Today, meet with God. 
so that you can be who God has called you to be. And as you read this letter, I encourage you, just read it. The last thoughts of this wonderful man, Paul. It just made me realize, I kind of read it. I was thinking back to the conversations I had with Arnold. Thinking, actually, the things that are there, I want to fan into flame. There are things here that need fanning into flame to be all that God wants you to be. To be all that God's called you to be. And that's